0: Welcome to Down with the Dig. I'm Shella.
1: And I'm Matt. This is a podcast
2: presented by the Ohio Laborers Union to keep you connected to your labor family. This is Down with the Dig.
1: Shella, I am really excited about today's episode.
0: And why is that, Matt?
1: We're going to be talking about some technological advances that can have a direct impact on the construction industry.
0: Well, that's always a good thing.
1: Have you ever heard the term exoskeleton?
0: I've heard the term, but I'm not sure what that is. And to help us out with that, we've got some great guests today.
1: We are happy to be joined today by two guests, Dr. Carissa Harris from the University of California and Dr. Maury Nussbaum from Virginia Tech. Welcome.
2: Thanks for having us. Thank you. Dr.
1: Harris, why don't you start us off by telling us a little bit about your background?
2: Sure. Um, Well, I started with a a Bachelor's of Science in Psychology at Tufts University and uh, then received a Master's degree from UCSF in Physical Therapy and then a PhD from UC Berkeley uh, in Division of Environmental Health Sciences. So tell us about your background, Dr. Nossbaum.
3: So my educational background is from the University of Michigan. I got my undergraduate degree in biomedical sciences, a master's in bioengineering, and my PhD in industrial engineering. So my work is broadly in the area of occupational injury prevention uh, from a mechanical and a physiological perspective looking at musculoskeletal disorders and slips, trips, and falls.
0: Those are problems that our construction workers face all the time.
3: Musculoskeletal problems and slips, trips, and falls are the top two problems year after year in a variety of industries. So a lot of work to be done. We've been working on exoskeletons, the topic today, for about five years. So how do we test them? How do we evaluate them? Uh, How can we determine if they're safe and effective for different industries?
0: So that leads us to our first question to our doctors. What is an exoskeleton?
3: Well, it's a hard thing to demonstrate without a visual here, but I'll do my best. So an exoskeleton is essentially a wearable system, something you put on. They're made to assist the user or a worker to support different body parts or support a tool to reduce the physical demands to do a given job. So the two main types, although there's many more are what are called arm support exoskeletons and back support exoskeletons. So both are put on not much different than a backpack. It's got straps and harnesses. You put it on, you attach the straps, and an arm support exoskeleton will have a little cuff or straps that support your upper arm. So when you go to raise your arm, you feel this thing support your arm. It's taking the load off your shoulder. A back support exoskeleton, if you put it on and you start to bend forward, you would feel it pulling back against you, supporting the weight of your upper body. They're fairly lightweight, on the order of a few pounds, maybe up to 10 pounds, and they can relieve uh, the need for you to support your arm or your back, not completely, but take some of the load off.
2: I would add that um, what Maury's describing are some passive exoskeletons and um, one thing that, that listeners might be able to relate to is Iron Man, right? The Iron Man uh, character is, is kind of the futuristic look of, of a powered-up exoskeleton. This is something that's wearable kind of like that. There are certainly active exoskeletons on the market. Um, but in construction industry, we're really looking at passive exoskeletons. So there's no battery or power source that's required.
1: So my understanding is this technology isn't necessarily new. It's been around for a while, and and largely got a, a lot of acclaim as rehabilitation for like spinal cord patients and stuff like that. But but how is it used in construction?
2: So um, in construction, there's uh, quite a few musculoskeletal disorders are you know they're they're very common, um, particularly musculoskeletal disorders of the back and of the shoulder. And so the passive exoskeletons that Maury described. Are literally designed to support the weight of the arm or the weight of your trunk your head arm trunk when you're bending over and so in reality it's um, really augmenting the physical capacity or ability of of the wearer it's giving a little bit extra support so that their muscles don't have to do quite as much work to hold their arm up or to hold up their trunk when they're bending over so in construction there's quite a few activities that require overhead activities, overhead tasks, lifting your arms overhead, or utilizing heavy tools in front of you. And so an arm support exoskeleton would be useful for those tasks. And then for the trunk, there's in construction, there's quite a few tasks that require bending over for long periods of time or lifting things from the ground. And the exoskeleton of uh, the back support exoskeleton in particular would, would be useful for those tasks.
0: How do the exoskeletons protect the safety of our union members?
3: The idea is that by reducing some of the physical demands, we can reduce some of what we call exposure to risk factors. So again, shoulder problems and back problems are very common in construction. Some of the known risk factors for injuries in those body parts include prolonged or excessive physical demands. And by alleviating those physical demands, exoskeletons have the potential to then reduce the risk of injury. By reducing the physical demands, they may also reduce fatigue, and by doing so, increase someone's performance or accuracy or productivity. Much of that is yet to be determined in a quantitative way, but there's certainly the potential for that.
0: I see how those exoskeletons can protect the backs of like our laborers that tend the brick layers. Um, they do a lot of bending over. They're carrying heavy bricks. So I can see where that would be a big help to those people. Yeah,
3: those are good examples. And just to reemphasize some of the examples Carissa gave. So if you're working with your arm raised for long periods of time or repetitively, such as in drywall or electrical work, you can alleviate some of the loads on the shoulder or as you mentioned, alleviate some of the loads on the back. You had mentioned the idea of safety and I think it's important to discriminate between sort of classical safety and what we're talking about, which is musculoskeletal problems. So when people talk about safety, they're often talking about things like accidents, being cut by something, a slip trip or fall, being caught in a machine. So exoskeletons really aren't intended for those types of events. They're intended for the more prolonged, uh, or for injuries that take longer to develop. So if you go work in construction, you're not going to have a musculoskeletal problem typically on the first day. It may take months or even years to develop back pain, shoulder tendinitis, etc.
1: I'm the administrator of the insurance fund, and I know that musculoskeletal injuries are one of the leading cost drivers for our claims costs, and also for the pension fund, and, and we see what we call wear and tear over time where a laborer's body just, you know, can't perform in their mid to late fifties the way the body could in the mid twenties.
3: There is clearly this potential, um, to reduce what's an important problem in construction, which is injuries and the associated costs. And those costs can be related to insurance. It could be related to loss of productivity, the costs involved in replacing a skilled worker, um, we really need to know more about how an exoskeleton quantitatively can reduce these problems, but we just don't know yet. Um, Does it reduce the risk of injury? How long do you need to wear it to see a reduction? What percent reduction will you find? Again, we just don't know. And companies are certainly exploring this on a small scale, it seems at at present, Um, starting In the auto industry is where a lot of people started exploring exoskeletons, and it's just starting to emerge into construction. So we'll wait and see, and the evidence will tell us uh, as it emerges.
2: We're in the process of um, collecting er survey information uh, from construction workers, and one of the things that we have seen is this idea that potentially exoskeletons might be able to help people work a little bit longer in the trade. And I think that that's um, a very important thing that we, we really don't know the impact of that yet, but that's a potential benefit that we'll certainly be looking at. It also could have an impact on say women in the trade. Um, it could provide some extra support that's needed to um, essentially augment their physical capacity and be able to do work in a way that um, is less fatiguing for them.
1: So you mentioned cost a little bit. Do you have an idea of, of the cost of this technology is it at the point yet that it's affordable enough for contractors that it makes sense for them to invest in this to offset the injuries on the job, or do we even know that yet?
3: Yeah, that's a hard question because we don't know what the benefits are in terms of injury reduction and associated costs. So the exoskeletons on the market, there's there's a couple dozen of them that you can buy in the U.S. right now. They cost on the order of two to $5,000 each. Now that's going to be an individual decision by a given worker or a company whether that's an investment they want to make. As it expands into the market and you have broader demand, the cost will definitely come down.
1: From a claims perspective, two to five thousand dollars sounds pretty cheap compared to you know a, a knee replacement or a back surgery or a shoulder surgery. So that seems reasonable in my mind.
2: It does, but in in it and again, in our recent survey, we actually asked that question, how much would you as a worker be willing to spend on this kind of technology? And most people felt that uh, they would spend up to about five hundred dollars, but they felt that companies might spend up to a thousand. So there still is a little bit of a mismatch on how much the technology costs and what people perceive uh, their their employers being willing to pay. Um, I think more research elucidating some of the benefits and potential um, unintended consequences will help uh, make people more comfortable on making that investment for the right task and trade and job where it makes sense. Um, I I also think that, uh, as Maury said, in time, either the cost of the exoskeletons will come down or there'll be different pricing models where you can actually rent an exoskeleton. And so I think that there are some companies looking at some options around um, different pricing models. How do you feel
0: exoskeletons can change the future of the construction industry?
2: I really believe that once we find out which uh, types of tasks are going to benefit the most from the exoskeletons with increasing risk the least amount, um, meaning the risk of any kind of um, snag or fall or any of that nature... Um, I think what we're going to see is that people will be less fatigued at the end of the week. Um, that's a possible benefit. Um, and we might see that people can stay in a certain trade longer um, throughout their lifespan and their career span. And we might also see that the, the, the person who signs up for that job, um, the, you know, the number of people who can do that job is essentially expanded. So those are some of the possible benefits that we might see once this gets adopted adopted into uh, construction um, in an informed way.
0: It sounds as though it'll be a great help for women in the industry. And how do you feel that exoskeletons will fit into the future of the construction industry?
3: The problem is we just don't really know yet. We're trying. And the project Chris and I do are doing is trying to help that process along. If you think about it from a general perspective, there's lots of different exoskeletons out there. There's lots of different tasks, and there's lots of different workers. So we need to figure out what's the what's the best overlap. What are the tasks, uh, matching those tasks to a given exoskeletons and making sure it works for a given worker who may be short or tall, big or small, etc. And that's going to take a lot of work. And, Some of it's going to be through research projects like we're doing it, and some of it's going to be through what you might call first adopters, the people with the resources and the curiosity to to buy this new technology, play with it, see where it works for them.
0: So those companies are who you're targeting right now with your research project?
3: Yeah, we're trying to help construction companies out there avoid some of the initial steps. Uh, figure out what tasks would benefit from an exoskeleton, are there certain types of exoskeletons that might work better or worse, and what are the specific benefits, Uh, to put some numbers to those, and also see are there adverse consequences and what might they be, and finally, how do we avoid those?
2: One additional thing we're interested in is looking at um, facilitators and barriers to adoption. So, If an exoskeleton was to be adopted by a certain trade or job uh, because it's effective for that job, how do we actually get this new technology accepted from a work culture standpoint? How do we present it to workers? How do we train workers on it? There's a lot of um, usability aspects that I think uh, we'll be able to investigate further in this research study, uh, and that should help guide construction companies on rolling out exoskeletons.
1: After the first phase of your research, what do you anticipate being done with the technology from there?
2: Well, the first phase of our research project is survey-based, and that survey is continuing uh, to to go on at this point. I'm going to give a shameless plug for the the research survey. Uh, People can go to ergo.berkeley.edu slash research-projects, and on there you can learn about uh, what the exoskeleton is. There's a nice introductory video on them. And there's also a link to surveys in both English and Spanish because we really do want to get uh, input from various stakeholders, whether they're a worker or a construction uh, manager or company owner. Once we get that information, we will be doing some laboratory studies. And the laboratory studies will be outlining uh, not only the benefits of the exoskeletons and, say, reduction of muscle activity or physical demands of the user. But we're also going to look at some of the barriers that Maury spoke about. So do you think that this widespread use
0: of this technology will eliminate some jobs in the future?
3: Yeah, it's a good question. It's certainly possible, but I don't think it's likely in the near future. Come back to where we started. I mentioned that the exoskeletons on the market now don't eliminate physical demands. They just help. They reduce it maybe 10 to 50 percent, depending on the job. So we're really not creating super people, super workers with this technology. We're just making their jobs a little bit easier, hopefully maybe a little bit more productive and a little less risky in terms of injury. So it's, it's different than, say, a robot, which could replace a worker. Here you have a technology that's being worn by a worker. The worker still needs to do their job, and their skill and technique is still essential.
2: Right now, we really don't have enough evidence to, uh, identify specific, um, you know, negative aspects or downsides. To using so, you know, part of the reason that we're doing this research is to identify those potential downsides or unintended consequences, as we call them more specifically. Uh, some of the things that, again, that we're looking at is, You know, does it increase someone's chance of losing their balance and falling? Uh, Does it slow their reaction time to get out of harm's way if needed? Um, Can they get out of a confined space? What kind of space do they need uh, in addition, you know, because of this additional space that the exoskeleton takes up on their body? So those are all things that we are currently looking at and, um, you know, we'll be testing further. There there have been some concerns about detraining or loss of strength. Um, if someone utilizes an exoskeleton. Uh, that that question, I think, stems from uh, the history of, of back belts, back support belts. Um, but in this instance, as Maury mentioned, we, we really are not trying to, um, we're just trying to augment someone's existing physical capabilities and capacity. So the assistance is in the realm of 10 to 15 percent, and it's certainly going to Um, help reduce fatigue is a possibility, but we don't see it actually providing so much assistance that it's going to decondition someone. But we'll be, we'll be looking at that more carefully in some of our laboratory studies.
1: I want to talk for a minute, if I can, about training. Is it easy enough to just strap on and go, or do you need to, you know, maybe break it in for a while? And how long is that period? Or is there more advanced training that needs to happen before you can really effectively utilize this on a job site?
3: So Carissa and I and and others around the world have done a number of lab-based studies, and just a general result from them is that people learn fairly quickly how to put on and take off the exoskeletons. Some are more complicated than others, but it really only takes a few tries, a handful of minutes, and you can put it on and take it off. It's certainly a new experience. When we, we when we demonstrate it to people in the lab and they experience it the first time, they say, "Wow!" and their eyes light up. It's it's a somewhat unique feeling to have this thing supporting either your your torso or your arms, um, and it takes a little while to get used to it.
0: So it's more about the feel of how your body works with the exoskeleton, more so than training.
3: I think that's a good way to put it. But also, most devices are adjustable, so fit. One aspect is fit. Does it fit a person? Um, it has been a challenge because people are so different. How do you make one device that fits everyone? So some of the companies, some of the exoskeletons are highly adjustable in terms of things like straps and the length of different parts. Other companies are selling, say, small, medium, and large versions. Um, but even then, there, there are still some ongoing fit problems that have been identified from research. For example, some of the devices do not fit females as well as males because of their different body sizes and, and the distribution of, of body parts or the proportion of different body parts. Another aspect is that the support provided by an exoskeleton is also adjustable. So you can have more or less torque exerted at the shoulder, for example, or more or less support for your upper body. And it does take some training and practice to find what's best f- for you doing a particular task.
0: What other areas are you researching?
2: Um, well, for this research project, I think we've described it. Um, and again, this is we have four more years to look at some of these important issues on benefits, barriers, and um, facilitators to adoption. And the goal again is to come up with some guidelines so that they can be implemented. Um in a, in a beneficial way uh, in construction. Uh, at our lab at UC San Francisco, UC Berkeley, um, we do additional studies in other areas. So um, we have done other laboratory studies on exoskeletons um, performing different tasks, whether they're lifting tasks or um, overhead assembly type tasks. Um, we also do uh some, some research on wearable devices, um, look using inertial measuring units or EMG electromyography and pressure insoles to try to quantify the different physical exposures that people are, um, experiencing in different, different jobs. So that's something that we're doing in our lab. And then we also have other more research to practice type projects. So I'm actually sitting at an elementary school right now, and we're looking at the impact of distance learning on physical activity, and health uh, among fourth graders. So a lot of our research is, um, you know, changes with the times. We're also doing a project on grocery workers and COVID-19, and, and certainly COVID-19 has, has modified our, our, some of our projects quite substantially.
1: It's changed the world in a number of ways.
2: Yeah, <laughs>
1: it sure has. So your, your survey that you're doing now, Um, You mentioned that you're talking to individual construction workers. You're talking to construction managers and owners. How do you get them to, or how do you get in contact with them? How do you know that they're using? Do you, are they reaching out to you or do you have a list that you're reaching out to them? How does that work?
2: We're, we're hoping to um, continue getting more feedback. The more feedback we get, the better, particularly um, across various trades and across the country. Um, so we, we, we have recently added things, some, some, um, some little blurbs on social media and tried to get the word out that way as well.
3: Had we not been in the middle of a pandemic, our, our survey would have also involved some hands-on experiences with folks in the construction industry so they, they could actually try one on and experience it themselves. And we still plan to do that in the future.
2: Well, I think with any new technology, there's a learning curve. And I think exoskeletons being applied and implemented into construction, there's going to be the same learning curve. But once we find out more evidence to support what tasks they should be utilized in and um, how they can support the worker uh, without putting any sort of undue risk on them. Uh, I think we're going to find that they're going to be a very useful tool in a construction worker's toolbox.
3: I agree, but like any tool, I don't think it's going to work for everything. Um, It's not a magic bullet. It's going to take some time and practice to learn where it can be used most effectively and also safely. There are a lot of claims being made. Some may be true. Some may not. We don't know yet. Um, And the technology is changing quickly. So don't expect if, if 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 I was to talk to a specific worker or a construction company I would say it's it's definitely worth exploring but don't ex- don't expect it to solve all your problems it certainly has the potential to solve important problems but it's going to take some work to figure out what those are what task what worker what specific exoskeleton
0: it will be interesting to see how exoskeletons affect the construction industry in the future.
3: It absolutely will be. There's, there's a lot of ongoing challenges in terms of physical demands and musculoskeletal injuries. And it's really exciting, I think, that there's this new technology available that could help solve some of those problems.
1: So are any regulatory agencies like OSHA looking at this technology and, and developing any standards that are going to have to be complied with?
3: The answer is yes. So NIOSH is looking into exoskeletons. More importantly, ASTM, which is a standards creation, an organization that creates national standards. They have a committee that formed about two years ago. It's called F48. And they are in the process of developing extensive standards for exoskeletons. Not just for occupational applications, but more generally, including healthcare and even personal use. Uh, those should be out, in com- I would say, within the next year. And those will have extensive guidance for things like fit, um, cleaning, uh, phys- reporting physical support, standardized testing methods, and so forth.
1: That's really, really exciting to see how the technology can be advanced to to where that can happen in in
3: really the near future. I agree completely, and hopefully some of the work that Chris and I are doing will help us down that path.
1: Dr. Harris, Dr. Nussbaum, I really appreciate the time you took today. I have learned a lot. I'm excited to see where this technology goes, and we appreciate your efforts in advancing this uh, for our members.
0: I agree with Matt. This is exciting stuff, and we appreciate you being with us today.
3: Thanks for having me.
1: Well, that was certainly fascinating learning about exoskeletons and how they can really help the well being and the safety of
0: our members on the
1: job sites.
0: And, Matt, that's why we have people like our guests today um, to let our organization know that, you know, we're on the cusp of technology, we're developing, we're just coming up with great ideas, great equipment to improve the health and safety of our members.
1: Absolutely. We thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions for us or any show topics you want to hear, please send us an email at talk at downwiththedig.com.
0: And remember to like us, share us, subscribe to us, and tell all your friends. Thanks for joining us today. Be safe out there.
2: Well, now you're up to date. Views and comments expressed on this podcast may not be those of Ohio Labor's District Council or LIUNA. Thanks for listening, and let's be careful out there.